Amen. Thank you, team, for a sweet, sweet time of worship this morning. So good. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here, either with us or online. We're so glad that you are, uh, we're, we can be together. The church is the, the uh, called out, those gathered together. And so we are glad that we can be together, whether it be here or by technology, either one. I know we're weary, and uh, this is, uh, we're kind of a, uh, worn out a little bit with, it just, it just won't end. And so I think what we do, my friend Scott said it this morning, instead of going, man, I'm so tired, I'm just ready for it to end. No, let's just realize that it's going to be weird for a while. So let's just begin, he said a wonderful thing, let's just begin to breathe again. And let's just get in life and let's just realize that this is kind of going to be a reality for a while. And so let's let the rubber meet the road and be who God's called us to be in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of craziness, in the middle of the unknown, and say, God, here, here's where we are. I'm going to honor you with my life. I'm going to honor you with all that I am and all that I can, and I'm going to be around your people. Last week we talked about uh, discipleship. We're in this series called Acts, the Story of the Church. And one of the things we talked about is the fact that Paul gave us really the, one of the first examples of sort of an institute of discipleship in Ephesus. He rented this place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus, and for two years he had students that came every day, and he lectured them, he taught them about Jesus and about the Word of God. And it was an incredible season, incredible things happened as a result of this deeper discipleship. But can I, just, can I just tell you, I want to just pause for a moment in the, in the teaching portion. And as, as a pastor, as, as your shepherd, I want to say to you, listen, if you are not engaged with the church, if you are not connected with your family, with city group, with people who will hold you accountable, let me tell you what will happen. This is not a matter of it might happen. This is what will happen. You will begin to slip away. You will begin to slip away in relationship. You'll begin to slip away in faith. You'll begin to slip away in connectedness. You'll begin to slip away in obedience. It is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So can I just tell you, listen, whether it's you physically being here, whether it's you tuning in, watching our messages, whether it's you being connected on Zoom to your city groups or an accountability group, be connected. Be uh, intentional about that connection because I promise you, as you begin to slip away, sometimes you don't make it back. It's the truth. Sometimes our hearts just get far enough from the people of God and the ways of God that, they, that some folks don't make it back. Be intentional about your life and about your life in Jesus. Let it go deeper in him, not farther away. Don't, if you're feeling the slip, if you're feeling the decline and the slide, then Either get here or get online, get a hold of some friends and say, pray for me. Um, it's just a, a fact of, of the matter. So we're in Acts. We're talking about discipleship last week, talking about all that God was doing. Paul had been there for two to three years in Ephesus, and as a result, uh, Luke uses this phrase. He says that uh, all the Jews and the Greeks in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. This incredible statement that, uh, of, of unbelievable um, effectiveness. As Paul teaches, the students are going out. We, we talked about last week that it's, it's probable that the church at Colossae was started in this time by a student of Paul. It's, it's most probable that the churches of Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation, most likely started in this time. There, there's so much uh, a mission 
uh, advancing the kingdom of God going forward as a result of people getting serious about his word and about their own discipleship going deeper and deeper. That is our heart as well, I hope. This week, it's uh, more amazing miracles of God. I mean, crazy, unbelievable miracles of God. We see people wanting to manipulate those miracles, and then ultimately we see a move of God that Ephesus has never seen before. So I wanna pray for us, and I want us to dive right into the word of God, can we? Father, we love you. God, you are so good. And Lord, you are with us. You promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. So God, even though it feels at times desperate, even though we're seeing record numbers in this COVID-19 pandemic, even though uh, there's still so much unknown and there's so much weariness, Lord, one thing we can know is that you are with us, that you love us, that you will not let us go. And so God, give us the faith to know that. Give us the faith to be intentional, to surround ourselves with people who love you and love us. Give us the courage, Lord, and the humility to surround ourselves with people who can correct us and challenge us. And Lord, give us the humility, if it's true of us, Lord, to to hear it and to change, to be more like you, Lord, to love you, to surrender our lives to you and to one another. That is the body of Christ. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you lead us, Lord, to all truth today that you'd help me to stay out of your way, God, that I would decrease and you would increase in this time and that you would lead us, Lord, to all that we need to know and give us the courage to be obedient to it. We pray it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Last week we talked about ordinary and extraordinary. Uh, We talked about the fact that uh, Paul runs into this group of guys when he comes back to Ephesus, 12 disciples of John. They knew about repentance because that's what John talked about but they didn't know about redemption. There's a big difference, right? They knew about repentance, but they didn't know about redemption. They didn't know Jesus as their savior. Paul preaches to them, he tells them about Jesus, the one that uh, John had pointed to, the Messiah. And so they get saved, they're baptized, and if ordinary could ever be, if salvation could ever be considered ordinary, I'm not sure it can, It's it's the greatest miracle, but those were the normative points of the salvation of those men. And then something extraordinary happened, right? Paul touches these men. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to prophesy. And we see something extraordinary, incredible, amazing. And we see that God is giving a very visible sign of his love, his heart, and his mission going to people that haven't seen or known him before. And so this is, this is a beautiful moment but it's an extraordinary moment. We're gonna see another extraordinary moment here as we get into our text today. Um, But this is an extraordinary experience. It's not something that that you see every day. It's not normative. It's additional. It's special, right? Uh, And we see another one here as we get into the word. Look with me in Acts 19, verse 11. And we're just gonna take this piece by piece today. Verse 11, chapter 19 says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Whoa. Extraordinary. Not normative, right? Like, my wife and kids want to be as far from my sweat rags as they can possibly be. You know, they're not taking them to people. Here, this is Drew's sweat rag. 
not happening. It's not a normative experience. This is a special experience. I, I, know, that, I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking it too, right? How many times on TBN or televangelist preachers have we heard of folks that have prayer cloths, prayer rags, some other type of thing that they've prayed over and just for a, the small gift of $100? You send that in and we'll send you the prayer cloth and who knows what God will do in your life. Miracles, healing, promotions, right? We've all heard it. Uh, Jim Baker was famous for those kind of things. In fact, he's in trouble right now. I don't know if you heard about this. He has a ministry out of, um, he's in Branson right now, and he came up with a silver solution. I mean, it almost says snake oil on it, but it doesn't. But it's a silver solution, and he said, this will cure COVID-19. For $80 a bottle, all you have to do is, is send in your money, and we'll send you this little bottle of stuff. Well, now he's in an unbelievable amount of lawsuits because he's a fake, right? What he was sending is not true. It's, it's not real. But what we see in Scripture, even though it reeks of some of those things we've seen over the years, this was real. This was true. And God was doing an extraordinary miracle in this moment through Paul. Incredible moment. It's not, it's not normal. In fact, the Greek word that Luke uses in this, in this description of these miracles is tychosis, which is, it translates um, special or singular or remarkable or even the word extraordinary. In other words, this isn't going to happen over and over again. This was special. This was remarkable. This was singular. This was a singular thing to happen. But God had placed such an anointing and such a spirit on the Apostle Paul that even his sweat rags and his aprons from work would heal people. Incredible and crazy. I I think about two other, um, at least two other examples in Scripture that seem a little crazy as well. Um, Jesus, you might remember in Luke 8, he's traveling through a crowd. People are pressing in on him. And there's what the woman, there's what the Bible calls a woman with an issue of blood. You remember that story? Luke 8, and she, she wants to, she just believes in her heart and faith. If she can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, if she can just grab his robe, she'll be healed. She's dealt with this problem for a decade or more. And she just, she just wants to grab his robe, and if she can just get that close, God will heal her. Right? She has that kind of faith. We, we should do uh, so well to have that kind of faith as well. well. Sure enough, she makes her way through a crowded group of people pressing in on Jesus. And the Bible says that, that Jesus all of a sudden felt power go away from him, go out of him. Isn't that interesting? It's, a, it's a, his clothes, but he felt power go out and away from him. And sure enough, that woman had touched his garment and she was healed. There's another crazy sort of uh, healing and miraculous apostolic miracle in Acts 5 that we studied a couple of summers ago, I think, where Peter, you might remember in the early church, Peter is healing all sorts of people. And in, in Acts 5, it talks about where the people are bringing out their sick and their demon-possessed to the street corners with the hope that even the shadow of Peter, as Peter walks down the street, that his shadow would touch these folks because even his shadow was healing people. Isn't that amazing? This is an apostolic moment. That, that word is based around, obviously, the apostles of Jesus, the ones who had been with Jesus. He was giving them an extraordinary tychosis. He was giving them an extraordinary power and ability to do things that were cr- crazy, of healing. And God, he wasn't just doing this for show, right? Look how awesome these guys are. It wasn't about these guys at all. 
It was about the power of God to be seen among people who needed to believe. And his presence, his visible miracles and presence draw people to Jesus and they get saved. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Well, something you need to know is that in Ephesus, where we're talking about today, this is one of the epicenters of demonic culture. This is an epicenter of the occult. I mean, they have a, they have a shrine or a temple, a huge temple to the goddess Artemis. Some of it still stands today in Turkey, in this location in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Amazing. But it's all built around this mythology. And, and if it's not, uh, of the, it's not the God of the Bible, guess what? It's, it's the devil of the Bible behind it. And so th- this was a, an epicenter of demonic culture and demonic life. People would use incantations and amulets and talismans. And they, they had these things called Ephesian papers, which were like just sayings, demonic sayings that people would say, like prayers, but not to God. And they would hold on to these, and they had these special books uh, of the occult. But God was doing an incredible miracle, an incredible move of his spirit in Ephesus. And some people saw this incredible move of the spirit, and they're like, I want to get in on that, right? Just kind of like Jim Baker, right? I want to get in on this action. I want to make some money out of this moment. Same sort of situation. Look with me, Acts 19, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But this evil spirit answered them, uh, answered them, saying, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Have you ever heard the phrase, Imitated but never duplicated. I think about, you know, there, I don't know how many Elvis impersonators there are in the world. It seems like millions of them. And some of them are pretty good. Some of them sound like Elvis. They look pretty well like Elvis. They dance like Elvis. But guess what? They're not Elvis, are they? They're not Elvis. There's, there'll never be another one. He can be em, uh, emulated or, or imitated, but he'll never be duplicated. The same with Michael Jackson. There's just as strange an office as they both were in ways. Um, They will never be duplicated, right? In the same way, these guys want to imitate what God is doing through Paul, but it can't be duplicated, especially without relationship with Jesus. So the Bible tells us in this text that there's these itinerant, meaning they go from town to town, Jewish exorcists. Uh, Of course, we know from the famous movie that scares me half to death from the 80s, The Exorcist. This is a, the exorc- to exercise something is to, to cast it out, that it would leave, that it would make it leave. So uh, exorcisms were to get demons out of people. And it actually was a huge interest in the early church, especially among the Jews and sons of the Jews, interestingly enough. Uh, they made money by doing these exorcisms. They would have these uh, list of prayers and they would throw anything in there that they thought might work in an exorcism. We still, they, in antiquity, we have some of these prayers we, that you can see today. And some of them are from our Old Testament sayings, some of them mention Jesus, some of them just like this. They'll throw anything in there that might see a, a demon leave a person. They'll try whatever the case may be. Uh, they see that there is power, as we sang this morning, as we, experience, we, as we have experienced in our lives, there is great power in the name of Jesus. They watched that power in Ephesus 
heal people, uh, deliver people. I mean, unbelievable things are happening in Ephesus as a result of the name of Jesus. And so, and Paul is so effective. He didn't have to go anywhere. He just throws a sweat rag. Somebody takes it to the sick and, whoa, God is doing incredible things. Well, these, these guys are called the sons of Sceva. Luke calls them a high priest. He calls Sceva a high priest. But one of the things that's interesting about the Jewish culture is they're pretty organized and they literally have a record of all high priests all the way back to Jesus' time and before. There is no record of a high priest by the name of Sceva, which is interesting. So I'm not saying Luke is not telling the truth here. I'm just saying that there's no record of that name. Maybe he was a chief priest and not a high priest. I don't know. Maybe the sons of Sceva were saying he was a high priest and he wasn't. It seems like they don't mind borrowing things, right? So maybe they're doing that here, but we have no record of that. Whatever the case may be, um, these brothers, these seven brothers have this business uh, in exorcism. Um, but clearly, these Jewish sons of the priest did not know Jesus. <laughs> and they're about to, to find out in a uh, difficult way what happens when you try to imitate, Im, imitate and, and dupl- not dupl- duplicate. Hey, look with me. I want to show you something that's pretty interesting about sons of Jewish priests who have an interest in uh, exorcism. Matthew 12, 22. Look over there with me. I just think this is interesting. There's a story of Jesus, and he's about to exorcise a demon. Matthew 12, 22. Let me read it to you. It says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, to him. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? In other words, can this be Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, because Jesus knows all of our thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub or Satan, By whom do your sons cast them out? Jesus is speaking to this business of exorcism among the priest's sons. Clearly this was something the sons of priests did a lot of. Whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And of course we know the kingdom of God had come upon them. This was the son of David. This was Messiah. And he was casting demons out by the Spirit of God. The kingdom had come. See, the thing about these guys, the business of uh, these seven brothers, Sceva, they knew there was power in Jesus' name. They just had no relation to it. Look in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, and let's look at some of that power. Be reminded of the great power of Jesus' name. Acts 3, 6, this is when Peter and John are going into the temple to preach Jesus. And they, they come to the beautiful gate and they find a, a crippled man. And the crippled man, of course, wants some money. And, and Peter says this famous phrase to him in Acts, in Acts 3, 6. Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The name of Jesus gave power to this man. And, and the miracle of him walking shows the power of the name of Jesus. So the man gets up and begins to walk. 
he even begins to jump around fulfilling the prophecy of, of leaping like a deer. I mean, this is an incredible moment. He's jumping around. He's not like testing it out slowly. This man's doing jumping jacks. He's dancing a jig. He's excited about what he's got, right? He's got this new healing. Well, uh, Peter and James get in trouble basically with the Sanhedrin and look over in Acts 4. They're trying to explain this miracle to the Sanhedrin, Acts 4.12, and Peter's gonna give another example of the power of the name of Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not only does the name of Jesus have power to heal, as Scott said this morning, he also said it has the power to save. In fact, it's the only name that has the power to save. By no other name, Peter says, can we be saved. It's the only way. Incredible power in the name of Jesus. And these guys are trying to manipulate that power. They're gonna, they're gonna try and use the power of Jesus without a relationship with Jesus. Can I just give us a warning, whether it be in ministry or in life as believers, we should not try and use the power of Jesus without a relationship with Jesus. And we're gonna see today that that's a dangerous thing to do. I wanna repeat this, Acts 19, 13 uh, says, then some of the uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, right? I wanna borrow this power, I wanna borrow this relationship See, the thing is, is we know by the Bible that, that the, uh, the name of Jesus is all we need to cast out demons. Jesus said at one point, uh, you, you need to fast and you need to pray. There, there's, there's different types, but the name of Jesus delivers us from the demonic. The Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we believe in those things. We stand by those things. But can I say, without Christ, without a relationship with Jesus, without an understanding of him, you you have no power over demons or over the, dark, the darkness. The power of Christ over demons really only works if you know Christ. It only works if you're committed to Christ. I was in, uh, I just finished my freshman year in college. I was 18. And I was in ministry. Um, I was working at a church as a youth pastor I didn't know a thing, y'all. I was just, I loved Jesus with all my heart, but I, my life was a mess, I, 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 you know, I, honestly. But I was telling kids about Jesus. I was having fun. I was, I was, I was a youth pastor, I was leading music in a church in England, Arkansas, my very first church to, to serve at. And a friend of mine from high school called me and said, hey, I need to talk to you. I hadn't seen him in a year since we graduated. I need to talk to you, can I come over? I said, sure, he shows up at my parents' house. We sat out on a front uh, uh, bench, and he tells me about his freshman year of college, how he had, he had sinned tremendously, um, that he was afraid for his health. He thought he might have HIV as a result of this sin, and he, he was shaking, he was so afraid, and he was so broken and, and, and saddened and, and freaked out. He, I'd never seen him like this. And I said, Mark, let's just, we're just gonna pray, let's just pray. So I remember bowing my head to pray, and I, and I said, Father, and I didn't get far in my prayer when I felt another presence. <laughs> and and I'm, I mean this with all of my heart, another presence was, was with us. 
So much so that I opened my eyes and I look over at Mark and Mark wasn't there with his head bowed praying. His face was right here and he was looking at me, eyes open and a big smile on his face. To this day, as I tell the story, I get chill bumps because it scared me to death. I felt the presence of a demon, no question. But what was so amazing, friends, is this. As soon as I felt the fear and terror of that demon that I was experiencing, I felt the warmth and presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, fear, presence of God. It was just immediate. The presence of God came over me and helped me understand what I was dealing with. I didn't freak out. I didn't back away. I just, somehow, I just closed my eyes and I bowed my head and I said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bind the devil and his demons, this enemy. As soon as I said the name of Jesus, my friend began to weep. He broke, and I could feel his body shaking as he wept. And I, I began to pray and pray and pray. <laughs> and God was showing me something as a young minister, as a young believer, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against demons and authorities and powers in the spiritual realm. And as a young 18-year-old, that was a, a crazy lesson to learn. And I ran into another one in that same youth ministry just a couple of months later. See, these guys, they tried to use the name of Jesus without relationship with Jesus. They had no power in the spirit to be able to do such a thing. They were fakes. You know, their ministry was inauthentic. And I, I, for anybody who has any kind of inclination to go into ministry, can I just tell you, don't get the cart before the horse. Don't think that you have all the skills and you're just good enough and miss the Jesus part. Don't let your ministry be inauthentic. It's not about how good you are. It's not about your talent. It's about your surrendered heart and life and obedience to Jesus. That is what shines through. That is what he wants to use more than anything else. These guys were fakes. Their ministry was inauthentic. You know, in the same way, I think people think that they can borrow other people's salvation experience. See, one day when we die, you're not gonna be able to say, Lord, I, I wanna I be in heaven because my mom knew Jesus. But Lord, please, can I, can I please come into heaven because my friend, she mentioned Jesus at one time. No. You know, there's a saying that says God has no grandchildren. In other words, he only has sons and daughters. You can't use somebody else's name in a salvation experience. You personally have to make a choice to follow Jesus. So these guys are, are doing something that they shouldn't have done. And we're about to see this moment play out like a horror movie, no kidding. They get called out. The evil spirit said to them in verse 15, Jesus I know, uh, and even Paul I recognize, but who are you? And I don't know if you feel that the way I do, but if you're going to, to exercise a demon and you're hoping that by using the name of Jesus you're gonna get it done, and then the guy says, who are you? That's a frightening moment, right? And it just, it just gets worse. Who are you? See, all through the New Testament, we see uh, Jesus confronting demons, and they knew who he was. 
in many instances, they tell him who he is before he even opens his mouth. Jesus walks up and they say, Jesus, son of the most high God, right? They recognize Jesus because he is God and they plead with him for mercy. They plead for, for him to, to remove them from his presence in every scenario with demons, every single one. So this, this demon, he mentions he's also familiar with Paul, but who are you? This just screams at me, do you have a life that's being lived in obedience to Jesus in such a way that your name is known in hell? Does the enemy consider you as an opponent or does he not consider you at all? How we pray, how we live, how we wanna make Jesus known. If we're living in such a way, if we're praying in such a way, I promise you you're making a difference in the heavenly realms. I promise you you're doing something God is using your life, and the enemy knows who you are. But if you're living your life for yourself, if you don't care, if prayer is really not a part of your life, then he doesn't have to worry about you. And in the same way, he tells these men, who are you? Who are you? And now we're going to see the consequences of stolen identity here. Acts 19, verse 16, gets ugly here. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Some translations say, and bleeding. Naked, bleeding, wounded, not good. Pastor Matt Chandler says, listen, if you ever enter a fight with pants on and then you leave the fight with pants off, it's safe to say that you've lost the fight, right? <laughs> you've lost. I don't, listen, I don't know what happened in this house. And I don't really want to know. But it was not good. Seven brothers. You know how you would fight for your brother? It didn't matter against this demon in this one man. They were all mastered. They were all overtaken and wounded and stripped naked and beaten and bloodied. So much so that it became famous in Ephesus. The people of Ephesus who, they rely on these talismans, they rely on these Ephesian papers, they rely on these demonic and uh, occultic practices are now going, do what? What happened? That can happen? And fear fills Ephesus. And then a greater fear fills Ephesus. Do you know what that is? Fear of Jesus. You know why? Because it's in Jesus' name that they're cast out. It's in the presence of Jesus they can't stand. They're aware of Jesus. Oh, they know Jesus. And they're even familiar with Paul. In fact, there's three things that come out of this story. Fear of demons, fear of Jesus, and some credibility for Paul. They come out of this crazy, crazy story. And it becomes known all over. Acts 19, 17 says, And this became known to all the residents, everybody, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Yes, there was a fear of the demonic, but now people are beginning to see the bigger picture, that Jesus is greater. He's more powerful than any demon, any magic, any incantation, any goddess, any temple that's one of the seven wonders of the world. Jesus is far greater. And they begin to put their faith in Christ. It says 
that fear fell upon them all, but they began to praise the Lord Jesus. They extolled the Lord Jesus. What does that word mean, extolled? Dictionary literally says to praise enthusiastically. To praise enthusiastically. I mean with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all that you believe. They were praising the Lord and people were coming to know him. And this fear led to revival, Acts 19, 18. Also many of those who were now believers. People were coming to Jesus as a result of this story. Many of those who were now believers came. And they're confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So it's the story of these miracles with uh, Paul's sweat rags as he works on tents until 11 a.m. And, and he throws the sweat rag away and somebody grabs it and somebody's healed by it. It's these stories. It's, it's the discipleship of what's going on in so many people at the Hall of Tyrannus. They're going out on mission, and churches are being started, and lives are being changed, and people are being baptized, and things are getting better. And then not only that, demons are overpowering people who are inauthentic, and people get afraid, and they come to know Jesus, and all of a sudden, they get serious about their commitment. Jesus. They take their books, they take their incantations, they take their Ephesian letters, and they take them somewhere and they, they decide to burn them all. I love the fact that they, they're burning them because if they were to sell them, because they had value, that's why Luke mentions this value. If they were to sell these things, somebody else could read them, somebody else could be influenced by them. If they were to give them away, somebody else could be influenced by them, right? But instead, they burn them to end their influence. I, my brother and I did something similar to this in high school. The Lord was working in our lives, and, and we, we burned some of our cassettes. We had some cassettes that weren't so great, you know. We had a little burn, cassette burning. Um, and it was in our way of saying, we want to know the Lord more. We don't want to compromise, and we don't want to let this uh, go against our relationship with Jesus. I, I love the story of a Spanish captain who pulls his fleet up to the coast with a mission in mind, 600 men on several boats. And the men are tired. The men don't want to move forward with this mission. They want to go home. And, and this, this captain knows that. He says, everybody meet me on the beach in the morning. We're going to have a conversation. Meet me on the beach. So there he's standing with his 600 men. He says, men, we're going forward with this mission. We're not going home. We're not going to retreat. We're not going backwards. We're moving forward. And he gives a signal to his captains, and they burn all the ships. Can you imagine turning around and seeing your ship burning, knowing that there's no way to go home? There's no way to go backwards. There's no way to be afraid anymore. you got to move forward. That's what these people were doing. They were saying, Lord, I don't want to go back to that life. I don't want to go back to, to trusting something that is of demons. I, I don't want to surrender little parts of my life to anything other than you. And so I burn it. Even things with great value. And Luke gives us this value. He says that there's 
Uh, it has the value of 50,000 pieces of silver. The Greek drachma was a piece of silver that would be given to a man when he worked a day's wage. It was a day's wage when he'd worked a day. They'd give him this piece of silver. According to this amount of, of silver, according to this amount of worth or value of these things that were burned, it equals 138 years of a working man's wage. This is just showing how big the revival was. This is just showing how serious these people were and how entrenched in the demonic they were. So somebody's keeping a, a tally of what's being thrown into the fire. Wow, that's worth 50 pieces of silver. Oh my gosh, that's 100 pieces of silver. Somebody's keeping a tally evidently. And before it's all over, people have surrendered the things that they once thought valuable to the fire because they have something else now more valuable. Fear of what had happened caused these people to get honest, it caused them to get confessional, it caused them to get intentional about not being around evil or evil practices or influences. Listen, can I just tell you, you know that God is moving in your church when people are more, they're, they're more concerned, they don't want to be hiding from sin, they want to be opening up to brothers and sisters about sin. They're not worried about hiding it. They want people to know where they're struggling. God begins to work in your church and in your city group and in your life when we stop worrying about hiding things and we start going, help me. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I need Jesus and I need you. Help me. That's when we know the spirit of God is moving in our church. Can I plead with you, friends? Stop hiding our sin and bring it before the Lord. Let's take what's been in the darkness and bring it to the light of Jesus. He's our only hope. Burn the ships. When we become more transparent about our brokenness, about our failures, and we're quicker to seek accountability and community and hope and prayer, and we take James at his word, 5.16, it says, Cast, it says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Then we know God is moving. He's doing something in our church, in our community. These people begin to have a different value on life and the things that brought them joy and peace. Daniel Aiken, in his commentary, says this. He says, after believing in Christ, then, there are often practices and ideas that new converts realize they must abandon as they come to understand more about Jesus. And rightly so, right? As we come to know Jesus, we begin to go, you know this thing I've been doing, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, it's called sanctification. It's the Spirit of God making you more like Jesus and making you aware, hyper aware of your sinfulness so that you go, I don't want to be a sinner like that anymore. I want to honor God with my life. He says, these Ephesian believers had a new affection they had a new love for Jesus. Their actions shouted that he was way more valuable to them than any God, any power, any false source of trust, or any amount of money. He's everything. And they laid it all down in a fire to show that they meant it. Friends, when we come to Christ, he calls us away from the life we once lived. Right? He doesn't want to lessen the life we once lived. 
He calls you away from it. He calls you from death to life. And sadly, we're so content often in just living as walking dead people and not running toward life. Can I just say, if, if there's something that is in your life that is sinful, that is a practice, that is a habit, burn the ships. Make it where you can't go back. What do you value? Because anything that we place above Christ in our lives is an idol. We don't talk about that very much in the church. But if there's anything in our lives that we value above Jesus, it is evil and it is an idol and it should burn. What these people saw as valuable changed. Have your values changed as a result of your life in Jesus? Are you different? Are you the same, but you kind of believe this? They begin to value commitment to Christ over anything else in their lives. You know, I was praying through this section of this message last night and praying for you. I grew up in the church, I grew up in this church. And we sang this song. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Remember that song? I loved it. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. There's no turning back. No turning back, I want to follow Christ. I don't want to make uh, the sin in my life easy to go back to. We keep putting Jesus on the cross. <laughs> no. I want to close this morning with the last verse of God's movement in Ephesus, Acts 19, 20. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God was using the stories, even the fearful ones, even the crazy ones, God was using in the word of God and the gospel and the power of Jesus is just growing. It's increasing and prevailing over the darkness. That's what I love. It prevailed mightily. Friends, as we, as we wrap up this morning, listen, there is incredible power in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is that you're holding on to, whatever it is that you may have an addiction to, Whatever it is that, that you've not given up, that you've not surrendered to the fire, listen, the name of Jesus can deliver you. There is power in that name to heal, save, forgive, and deliver you. This morning, even if you're watching and nobody's with you, and you know exactly what that thing is that's, that you've been dealing with and struggling with and, and hanging on to that you've valued so much, When we come to know Jesus, we need to value him more. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you're hanging on to your idols. And if you are, can I say you're, you're not accessing the power of the name of Jesus. And honestly, you're opening yourself up to the darkness. You know, some of you go, ah, pfft. silliness. Oh, friends, I've got friends, I've got stories don't open yourself to the darkness. 
Don't play games with the demonic. Don't, don't, don't play little horoscopes and little Ouija games and little things that you think are innocent, but they're demonic. And they open up a, a, a way for the enemy into your life and into your children and into your home. But it's just a few curse words in this show I like to watch. It's just a little sexuality. It's just a little this and that. We open up ourselves and our homes to the demonic. And we wonder, how did this happen? God, would you change what we value, change what I value, Lord? Call us to holiness, Jesus. You know, when you think about that, that honestly should, it should cause you to be afraid, just as it did the Ephesians. But not for long, because those of us that know Jesus have a greater fear, because he's over those demons. There was none beside him. No one, no other name but the name of Jesus. So we fear God. Friends, we're gonna sing a song in just a minute, and I just wanna encourage you. I don't, know what you. I don't know what your ships are. I don't know what it is that you need to bring to the fire. But it, maybe you've allowed yourself to be open to things that don't honor God. Maybe you've allowed your, your home, your reading, uh, influence in your life in some way or another. What you're believing about yourself, I don't know. But I just ask you this question to ponder on this, this morning and this week. What's the most valuable thing in your life? Some of you say, my children. And I'll say, that's an idol. <laughs> I love my children. I'll die for my children in a second. We can't value them over our relationship with Jesus. We have to love Jesus and teach them to do the same. What do you value today? And if there's anything that you know that your heart values over Jesus, come stand with me over here and let's give it to the Lord. Let's burn the ships and say, Lord, I don't wanna go back. I wanna, I wanna go forward in my relationship with you. I wanna surrender my life to you. Wherever you lead, I'll go. There's no turning back, God. And then let's let his presence and his power increase in our life and prevail mightily. That's my prayer. Amen? Father, thank you for this morning. God, we don't talk about the demonic that often. We don't talk about demons, exorcisms. We don't talk about those things because they're scary to talk about. But they're just as real today as they were in, in the first century. Those same demons that wrecked havoc on, on the lives of people are still wrecking the lives of people today. But Lord Jesus, you are greater. You are more powerful. And in your name we have power to be forgiven, to be released, to be delivered from those addictions, from those habits, from those trusts in, in anything other than you. Lord, I, I believe that the American church has to stop treating you like a hobby. God, we gotta stop treating you like an option. If you are Lord, you need to be Lord of our lives over everything that we are, everything that we say. God, would you forgive us of our sins? May we, like those Ephesians, come even today and bow at this altar and lay down the things that we've trusted more than you. Send us forward, God, not backward, to knowing you, 
to believing, God, that you are still a miracle-working, delivering God. That you're not finished with South City Church. God, you're not finished with the church of Jesus in America. You have so much that you want to do in us and through us. And may we be intentional, God, to go deeper with you and be obedient to what you're calling us to. God, may we remove the secrets in our lives. May we run from those, God, from the darkness that we hide. And may we run to the light of Jesus and to his people who love us. They don't judge us. They hold us. They help us. They hold us accountable. They encourage us. And together, God, may we become the people you want us to be. Please, God, use this crazy moment in our history, in our country, to purify us in Jesus' name, to know you more, to love you, Lord, and bring us through this refiner's fire, knowing you more and making you known. May your name, may the power of your name, may your presence, may your word prevail mightily today, God, in this place, in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen.